This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for June 21st, 2019. In this week's episode, Flash is going away forever, publishers versus incognito mode, the UK tries to restrict access to porn, and a malware extravaganza. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. We have reached the summer. The day of the release of this episode is Midsummer's Day, June 21st. How do you feel about summer, Josh? Um, it's hot. At least in California, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. You've had 100-degree weather recently, uh, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it's not uh, not pleasant. Not pleasant. Yeah, I know I know. in Paris, where my son is, um, it's been in the, in the 30s, so that's in the 80s, and it's going to get even hotter. Where I am here in the UK, it's like 65 today. Um, and I've had the heat on, and I've only had the heat off a few days uh, this year. So as much as I don't like your heat, I'm hoping it gets a little bit uh, warmer than this. But this has been, are you ready for this? This has been a hot week for malware. Yeah, it has. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that a little bit later, though. We, we've, got, uh, we've got a few other topics that we'll, we'll start you out with, and we're going to save the really good stuff for later. Okay, what do you want to start with? Um, how about Google Chrome, uh, making it harder to use flash? Yeah. And, and, you know, this is funny. The first thing I thought of when I saw this is like everyone who knows about flash uses Google Chrome when they need flash, right? For the, for the rare website, it still uses flash. You fire up Google Chrome if you're not already using it, um, because it has its own embedded Chrome and it's safer and you don't have to worry about updates from Adobe, but now it's not going to be able to do Chrome. So what am I going to do if I need flash? I have to boot into a Windows virtual oh machine? No. So at this point, honestly, um, you know, developers have had a while to figure out something else to use instead of Flash. Flash uh, alternatives are out there. I mean, HTML5, which is the latest version of the hypertext markup language, um, uh, is able to do a lot of the things that Flash was used for in the past. Um, you know, you can... You can do a lot of things with other technologies now that people used to use Flash for. Now, that's not to say that, you know, there's no more legitimate uses for Flash. And there are some developers that um, are really frustrated that Flash is going away. But Adobe has announced that. And they've announced it a long time ago now. It's more than a year ago, I think. Yeah. But without Flash, how are we going to look at all those MySpace pages? (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, honestly the 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 one thing, and I've I've mentioned this before. The like the only thing that I really care about Flash for is HomestarRunner.com, which is a yeah, yeah a cartoon that. site. Yeah. But they're in the process of transitioning over um, all of their cartoons to YouTube, um, one or two at a time here and there. Um, so hopefully they'll be done by 2020 when <laughs> Flash is officially dead and no longer getting updates. You know, honestly, there's not that many sites that are still using and requiring Flash. I, I think there probably are still some educational sites um, that are still based on Flash. But um, I mean, honestly, if they haven't fixed their site, if they haven't moved to something else by 2020, then, you know, it's time to find something else. 
Yeah, anyone who's still using a MySpace page needs to kind of up their game, I think. We're going to link to an article in The Verge, and it explains how you can turn Flash on, because it's not been removed from Chrome, it's just off by default. Uh, Another tweak in this new version of Flash is interesting, is that websites will no longer be able to detect when your Chrome browser is in incognito mode. And this is something that publishers use to keep you from reading stories behind a paywall. You know, you go to the New York Times, you get three stories a month, or New Yorker, you get three articles a month. Um, The only way they can track that is by recording it in cookies on your website. So pro tip, guys, if you want to read more articles on the New York Times, when you get to your limit, go into your browser (laughs) settings, delete all the New York Times cookies, and go back. It's really not that hard. But if you're in incognito mode, they can't save your cookies. And each time you come, it's like it looks like it's a new person coming to view the website. So if people, if websites can't detect incognito mode, publishers are going to be a little bit annoyed by that. Yeah, well, good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, th- th- I-, I don't see this as a bad thing, obviously, from a privacy perspective. Um, I think, you know, I- I'm-, I'm probably a heavier user of incognito mode than most people. Um, by default, I open tabs in a private browsing window um, because... Why not? I mean, unless I know that I'm going to need to go back to the site and stay logged into the site, I, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't open it in a private window. So um, I, th- I think it's a good thing. It's an interesting idea. I've never thought about that. I only use it occasionally. Um, but I guess that this means none of your Google searches get recorded or at least get recorded and linked to your profile. Right. Um, you can't be fingerprinted the same way. Um, it's an interesting idea. I should consider doing that. Of course, there are sites that won't work. When you're in incognito or private browsing, you can still log into a website, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you you, you actually there's no reason why you can't log into a we, uh, into a website when you're in incognito mode. Right, but what happens is when you finish the session, nothing's saved. So each time you go to the website, each new session, you have to log in again. Well, so yes, but if if for example, if you're logging into a Google account when you're in incognito mode, um, then your search history is still going to be tied to your account. So that is something to be aware of. Good point. Good point. Okay. Well, all those using Chrome, and if you do use Flash in Chrome, Read the article we linked to, which explains how to turn Flash on, and your life will be the same, and you can go to your dot .runner. Homestarrunner. Homestarrunner.com. Okay. Interesting Apple uh, development that Apple is restricting access to the online Apple Store to the more recent versions of Safari and Mac OS. Now, we have to assume that, uh, as you've said many times, you know, Apple goes back one operating system on the Mac and issues security updates, and two operating systems back, there's no security updates, so it might not be secure. And I guess they're worried about a man-in-the-middle attack of someone intercepting a password when you log into the store. But it's interesting that they're essentially cutting off some of their income in the name of security. I don't think they're necessarily going to get everyone to upgrade their operating system, because most people who haven't upgraded the operating system have computers that are too old to be compatible with the more recent operating systems. Um, I I wonder what percentage of their business comes from people with what they're now calling non-secure versions of Safari and Mac OS. Yeah, so so you're right. Apple Apple typically releases security updates, or at least this has been the practice for many years for the current and two and two previous versions of Mac OS. So right now, you know, until uh, Mac OS Catalina comes out in the fall, 
Um, we're, we're getting uh, security updates for macOS Mojave, macOS High Sierra, and macOS Sierra. So Sierra is 10.12, and Apple has just cut off anything older than 10.10.5 and the, and the version of Safari that goes along with it. So the last version of Yosemite, that's now the baseline, the minimum uh, version of macOS that you can use if you want to access the Apple Store online. Well, that's still pretty old. It's still pretty old, yeah. Um, I, I I would suspect that um, there's probably not a ton of people who are still using something older than 1010. Just looking at um, uh, the netmarketshare.com uh, statistics, it looks like the top four versions of macOS that are being widely used are 10.13, 10.14, 10.12, and 10.11 in that order. So um, that's according to their statistics uh, that they're gathering from people accessing various websites. So, um, you know... 10, You're saying 10.13 was the first? 10.13 is the first according to net applications or net market share. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. And, well, you know what it could be? It could be businesses that haven't wanted to upgrade to Mojave uh, you know, just the the large number of computers that are used because you'd think that it's a free update that everyone using a Mac that can support Mojave would update to it. And and this goes back to computers from 2012. Right. Yeah. It, it's, um you know, with some versions of Mac OS, they drop um, support for, for older hardware. But um, I'm trying to think with Mojave, I don't know that they actually did drop any Mac models. No, it's, it's, the, it's the same requirements. We talked about yeah. it last week. I think it's all Macs from 2012 or later. There might have been one exception in, in that batch. But it's interesting. You know, they always tout the uptake of iOS being 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. And here, the latest version of macOS is not the most widely used. That's interesting. In, in any case, this only affects the... Um, online Apple Store, apple.com. It doesn't affect the Mac App Store, which you should still be able to access. I'm guessing they're just worried about credit card information that's being transmitted. Maybe there were some vulnerabilities that were patched at a certain point and that in older versions could still be problematic because there's no other reason. The only reason they would do this is because of payment information or security certificates, you know, that kind of thing. The possibility of spoofing, perhaps. Right. I, I think just in general, you want people who are running a, a more recent version of, of software to access your website when it comes to like financial transactions. If someone's actually purchasing something, you'd like them to, to have sort of a better security baseline, I guess, is where this comes from. The ironic thing about this, we should mention, of course, is that, you know, if you have a really old, outdated Mac, now you can't use the online store to buy a new one. Well, you can just call and give your credit card number over the phone. That's secure, right? Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, briefly, we've mentioned Celebrite in the past. It's this company that has made a sort of a black box that can unlock um, iPhones and other brands of phones. And now they say they can unlock any iPhone. This, of course, is for, you know, law enforcement, government agencies, etc. But they've figured out a way now to get into any iPhone. As as always, this kind of works with a vulnerability, and that vulnerability is going to get patched, and they'll try and get another vulnerability. But it seems like now that they can get, they say, any iOS device back to iOS 7, Android devices 
not just from Samsung, but Huawei, LG, Xiaomi, etc. Right. Yeah. And so what's different about this, and and Celebrite has said this before, we can unlock any iPhone. Um, Now they're saying specifically that if you've got iOS 12.3, which is uh, essentially the latest version, then they can unlock that as well. So presumably... um, they can also unlock 12.3 point something. So it, little iterations they'll probably still be able to do. Um, now 12.4, I think, is on the horizon. And then, of course, we know that iOS 13 is coming out in the fall. Um, so it remains to be seen whether they'll still be able to make that claim that they can unlock you know, any iPhone or any iOS device uh, through that point. But at least for right now, they're saying basically you can send us any iOS device and we'll be able to unlock it. So they have an exploit that they're using to be able to uh, to unlock phones. So should people like you and me worry about this? Um, no, as we've said in the past, uh, the, you know, this, this kind of thing is... Um, Probably not a big deal for your average everyday person. When it comes to Celebrite, they're mostly doing the kind of thing where, um, you know, you you are say law enforcement is in possession of uh, a suspect's device, and they really need to get into this device. They can't figure out any other way to get in. They send it off securely to a Celebrite facility, and they will crack into it for you or attempt to. Um, so that's the idea behind how Celebrite service usually works. Um, right. They don't sell a device that the police can use to hack into anyone's phones. I, I think at some point they may have sold a device, but this is not kind of, I, I think mainly now they just want you to send them the device and then they will unlock yeah. it for you. Um, so yeah, I think the average person doesn't really need to worry about Celebrite. Um, now there has been another device, um, a competitor had a, had a gray key device that we've also talked about before where there was a device that was actually available to purchase by law enforcement. Um, and by the way, um, I, I heard someone recently pointed out that, um, you can actually find some of these devices on eBay, <laughs> even though these are only sold and are only supposed to be sold to law enforcement. Um, apparently, if you look around, you might be able to find some of these devices for sale on sort of like the gray market. Um, so uh, that's well, weren't some of those devices that they sold limited to specific versions of operating systems like the devices themselves couldn't be updated. So maybe someone bought one that works with iOS 11 and doesn't need it anymore and is selling it on eBay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of the thing. I think if you don't with GreatKey, I don't know exactly how it worked, but I suspect that if you didn't have like sort of an active subscription. I, I, I seem to remember that somehow it, uh, they were able to do some like geo locking and things like that um, to sort of prevent people from being able to, to resell them. Um, and so possibly if you don't have maybe an active subscription or something, maybe you can't uh, really use these devices anymore. Maybe they're not actually still effective. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about porn and malware. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. 
And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, just briefly, we want to talk about porn. No, it's not that discussion. In the UK, the government had planned to introduce a porn block system. So in order to look at porn on a computer, you would have to provide detailed information proving your age. Like you would have to send a copy of your passport to someone at a website who would verify that this was you and this was your age. Or you could go to a newsagent, a place where you buy magazines or a little shop, And I think you could spend five pounds to get like a porn passport after showing proof of age to the person behind the counter. Now, obviously, this sounds like a joke, doesn't it? But it wasn't a joke. And of course, as we talk about um, data breaches here regularly, you just can imagine what's going to happen. You know, all these people who have uh, signed up for this thing and have gotten these porn passports, uh, they sign into websites and all of their activity is recorded, connected to their real names. And gee, oh, some of that data got out. You know, just imagine what could happen. So this was supposed to start recently. Um, it was actually just announced today that it will be delayed either for six months or indefinitely. Uh, there have been a lot of privacy organizations complaining about this, saying it's ridiculous, in part because the company who was going to manage this on the back end on the porn side is owned by the company that owns all the big porn companies like Pornhub and the rest. And the company that was going to manage it in the UK or the organization was going to manage it in the UK is the organization that sets ratings for films. Now they have a lot of technical knowledge about, you know, how to put those little age ratings on movies, but they don't know a whole lot about encrypted communication. It's the only country, it's the only democratic country in the world that's tried to do something like this. It just seems stupid, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I I get that the reason behind this right is to try to protect kids from from you know uh, accessing porn and getting addicted and all those kind of things. So I like that's <laughs> that's the idea behind this, right? They're uh, they have good intentions, I suppose, but they're going about this in a way that obviously is you know puts people's privacy in danger because if you're an adult and you choose to to do that, um, it's it's something where you know I mean I don't want my passport you know floating around out there like to to you know uh, to I I don't want to give information that's that personal, that private away to, uh, to anybody unless I really need to, right? Yeah. I mean, you'll need to give it to an airline or a government agency for a visa, but you shouldn't give it to anyone else. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a good thing that this is tabled from a privacy perspective for, for those who, who would have been affected by this. Um, 
But um, and yeah. plus, you just know that data is going to leak at some point. There's that, going to be that, a breach. That's really my main concern about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if you're if you're having to hand over your passport to you know just to access a website, well, how do you know that the people who are running that passport validation service are are going to treat your passport with the level of respect that they should? In you know, this is personally identifiable, really sensitive information that shouldn't be leaked. Um, and we know that data breaches, like you said, happen all the time and, uh, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like this is the best way to approach this. And in addition, it's only the biggest porn sites who are going to be doing this. Um, you know, there's plenty of porn on other websites, on Reddit, on Twitter. Tumblr recently decided to get rid of adult content. But if you were to search Tumblr for adult content, you'd find a lot. They're doing this automatically. They're having, uh, you know, spiders check websites and flag certain photos. But obviously it doesn't work all the time. You, you can't, this is a whack-a-mole. You can't stop this. And, and just the idea of, Recording that much private information is risky. Anyway, we're not going to spend the rest of the show talking about porn because, Josh, you have so much malware to talk about this week. Some really cool stuff. And, you know, as much as malware is an annoyance and it's criminal, sometimes the things they come up with are really cool. They're really clever, yeah. So uh, let's see. So I guess the first one we'll talk about um, is there's this in-the-wild security vulnerability. And at first, we were just going to talk about this vulnerability in Firefox this week. And then, well, it turns out that there's actually some malware that's already exploiting this vulnerability in Firefox. So Okay, so just to, hold on, just to define what in-the-wild means, because sometimes we talk about a proof-of-concept or something that's been found someplace in a in a in a database with a whole bunch of files, but in the wild means that there are active attacks going on. Right, right, exactly. So this is something that um, has actually been seen, really used uh, out there in the real world, um, not just you know in a lab somewhere, um, and it's specifically been used in targeted attacks. Meaning that um, this is not something that was just sort of like something you'd likely stumble upon, you know, doing a web search and then clicking on a link. Uh, This is the kind of thing where somebody was actually sending the links directly to somebody um, to exploit this flaw. Um, But this was reported uh, by uh, Samuel Gross um, from Google Project Zero and also um, Coinbase uh, security team. Um, They had actually seen... Uh, you know, th- this attack being used, reported this to uh, to Mozilla, who makes Firefox, and they released patches for the latest versions of, of Firefox. And also, if, if you're a Waterfox user like me, you can also get uh, an updated version of that as well. Yeah, Waterfox, uh, you've mentioned these browsers a lot. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a special episode on alternate browsers to discuss them in more detail. Right, right. Um, so definitely look forward to that. We, there's there's a lot more browsers than I think people realize. So, um, so this Firefox zero day vulnerability um, actually could drop a Mac OS backdoor. Um, and Patrick Wardle wrote a good write up about this um, on uh, Objective C, uh, which is his site. Um, and he he talked about this malware that uh, is being called uh, Netwire.a. So what's kind of weird about this is that, um, and, and Patrick sort of summarized his article in a tweet saying, Firefox zero day drops malware, but Apple silently deployed a signature in 2016, yet 
you know, major antivirus engines are not detecting this malware, and in reality, neither does Apple. Wait a second. A zero day means that no one's detecting it. So how did Apple have a signature and yet not detect it now? Well, so the thing is, so so Apple had a signature in Xprotect for a variation of this malware that's being dropped by the zero day vulnerability. So there, so there's a little bit of a, a difference there that someone is using this new newly found vulnerability in Firefox to send out malware to people. Um, okay. So so Apple had been, I guess, aware of a variation of this malware um, for a few years now. And, um, so, and, and by the way, this is kind of a funny thing because, um, the rest of the security community, a lot of people kind of assume that antivirus companies are all just enemies of each other. And like, there's no information sharing going on. Well, that couldn't really be further from the truth because there's a lot of information sharing that goes on between, uh, you know, antivirus companies talking about the latest malware. It kind of, it helps to help each other out. And the, although, yeah, you know, different antivirus companies are technically in competition, of course, because they're all selling their own product. Um, it does help the research community to talk about their findings with each other. Com- companies like to be the first to discover something and announce yeah. it, but they'll generally share that information a little bit after that point. So no one is really in danger of only one company knowing about a specific bit of malware. Right. And Apple, however, their security team behaves a little differently because uh, Apple uh, likes, you know, likes secrecy. And um, so the people that they have developing signatures for Xprotect, which is sort of the rudimentary built in, you know, malware blocker um, that uh, doesn't usually work very well. Um, they don't really talk with the rest of the security community. And so they, they've had a signature that's been in Xprotect for a few years um, for something called Netwire. Um, but they this actually doesn't block this new newly found malware that's being pushed out through this Firefox browser exploit. Um, so long story short, um, basically you need a legitimate you know, antivirus program and, and obviously, um, you know, Intego software and, and probably other antivirus programs will protect you from this newly found, uh, netwire malware. Okay. So there's another one called OS 10 slash linker. And in the show notes that you prepared before the show in the Google doc, you wrote about how this works. And I wrote, wow, that's really cool. I, I just like the way they come up with clever ideas. Can you explain what's specific about this one? Yeah, this is a really um, clever flaw um, that was discovered. Um, th- and this was written up uh, toward the end of May. Uh, a, a researcher uh, had found this vulnerability. He talked about even the latest versions of Mojave still had this flaw. And basically what the flaw is, is that um, if you have a... Um, you know, anytime you download software, you're usually either getting it as a zip file or a DMG file, unless you're getting it from the Mac app store, obviously, then you get the app directly. Um, but if you're downloading it from a website, typically it's a zip or a DMG, a disk image. Um, and either way, when you extract that zip file or when you mount that disk image, one of the things that can exist inside of that uh, extracted archive or that disk image is 
something that's kind of like an alias. We, you know, in the Mac OS Finder, um, if you've ever clicked on a, f- a file or folder uh, or an application even, and then you go to uh, the file menu, you can go to make alias. Um, and this is sort of the, the Mac version of um, a shortcut. Uh, on Windows, it's called a shortcut. Um, there's also a Unix variation of this that you can do via the terminal that is called a symlink or symbolic link. Uh, basically works very similarly to the way that an alias works. Um, but this flaw essentially is that um, you can make a symlink that references a, a remote system. So in other words, something that's even outside of your local network. And the idea behind this is that you can actually have a symlink that goes to an attacker's server and runs an application from the attacker's server on your Mac. Yeah, the point of making a symlink like that is, let's say you're on a distributed Unix system and you want to be able to mount a network volume or open a folder on a network volume. So you create a symlink to that remote volume and you put it on your computer. It acts as a kind of forwarding. Um, when you double-click a folder alias, it actually opens the folder itself, no matter where it is. And you'll actually see this fairly often these days when you download software on a disk image. You'll often see uh, in the disk image the apps icon, and then you'll see the application folder um, with a little arrow on it that indicates it's an, it's an alias, and you'll have instructions, drag the application to here. And what it's doing is that alias in the disk image is an alias to the application folder on your Mac. It's not that someone made it by getting into your Mac to create the alias. It's that they just put the right file path. So it's not uncommon to see an alias like that. But what you're talking about is really much more clever. Right, because this is actually, uh, this is a way, and the reason why this is sort of like discussed as a zero-day vulnerability and all is, um, so macOS has a feature called Gatekeeper that we've talked about that um, basically when you download some software onto your computer, um, you know, the XProtect system and Gatekeeper kind of try to see if this is known malware, right? And um, the problem here is that uh, that zip file or DMG that you downloaded um, doesn't actually contain an application, and and so there's nothing for XProtect or Gatekeeper to you know detect as possibly being malware. Um, so because you're running this on a remote from a remote system, uh, this is sort of a way to get around Gatekeeper so that you know Apple's built-in technologies aren't doing anything to identify whether this is malicious or not. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that this is a proof of concept, but it would be very easy to exploit. Um, Gatekeeper only works when you download something uh, through an Apple app. So Safari, Mail, Messages, there might be a couple of others. It, it won't work if you download your file in Chrome or Firefox. And, and that's a limitation of Mac OS that it doesn't, that these apps don't write the information to the file to tell it, to tell Gatekeeper to check it. But this is, it's a clever proof of concept. Just imagine that some, uh, some hacker goes and breaks into a web server of a legitimate developer with a disk image for their demo of their software and replaces it with this and down and people download it. And maybe, you know, two hours, three hours later, they discover it. But in the meantime, a lot of people can be infected by it. 
So what are we going to say? Don't open zip archives. Don't <laughs> open disk images. We can't say that, you know, turn off your computer, lock it in the safe, right? <laughs> well, yeah. So be careful. Obviously, uh, you know, if you need to get software from someplace other than the Mac app store, um, just be very careful about it. Um, you know, make sure as much as you can that it's actually coming from the legitimate developer. Don't, you know, download software through BitTorrent or any, you know, sketchy websites or things like that. Um, sketchy websites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if somebody is trying to tell you that your flash player is out of date and you need to <laughs> update it, don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Flash Player is actually not updated that way anymore. You can't really get Flash Player except built into Chrome nowadays, really, anyway. And so, As we discussed in the first half of the yeah, show. Exactly. So so you, you don't even need to install Flash Player anymore because it's part of the Chrome browser now. Basically, yeah, you probably don't need to worry about this too much. Now, we, so the, the twist on this is it was just a proof of concept, but now we've actually seen that there has been malware out there um, that we'll probably be writing up for the Intego Mac security blog soon um, that is exploiting this gatekeeper flaw. Um, so it, it, it is really something you may encounter in the wild. Um, so just be careful about it. Okay, we're we're over our time limit, but there's one more thing. It's Loudminer, cross-platform mining in cracked VST software. Ooh, that sounds really creepy, doesn't it? VST, Virtual Studio Technologies, is sort of a, a protocol that um, audio apps use to have plugins that work across different apps. It's a very commonly used protocol if you're recording audio, professional uh, audio recording. And there's an interesting uh, malware called Loudminer, which is actually installing a virtualized Linux system to mine cryptocurrency. Uh, 60 seconds, Josh. Explain it. Okay. Well, you pretty much covered it, but what's amusing about okay, this... Okay, well, in that case, let's go. It's over. No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so what's kind of amusing about this is that um, the process that it's, it's running to mine cryptocurrency on infected systems is called XMRig, which there actually is you know, a Mac OS version available of this software. So they're, they're going to all this trouble to download uh, a, a whole Linux, you know, distribution, a tiny version of Linux, but, uh, but they're downloading an, another operating system and, it, and a uh, virtual machine to run this operating system and then running this XM rig process inside of a virtual machine inside of your computer. So they're, they're going through like all these extra layers really for no reason, because XM rig is something that you can use to mine Monero cryptocurrency on a Mac um, natively. So, well, but these are people who are hacking <laughs> to try and use your computer for their cryptocurrency. We'll link to an article that points out something that the people who are using these apps that are going to be infected, they won't notice it because these high-end audio apps use a lot of CPU. So if the CPU is peaking at any time, it's not going to surprise them. They're also used to uploading and downloading large files. Uh, you know, Again, these are professional audio recording apps, not the kind of things that we use to record a podcast. So I, I find it clever. This is another one that's clever that they download an actual virtual Linux installation to run something. And it just made me think, wow, um, anyone who gets one of those new Mac Pros with 87 cores is definitely going to be targeted by these cryptocurrency miners. 
<laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you've got that kind of processing power, um, you know, I think there are going to be people who are going to want to exploit it and use it for their own benefit. Okay. So, um, summertime, enjoy your midsummer night's Eve and stay secure until next week. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long to get every weekly episode. Be sure to subscribe at Apple podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can leave a rating, a like, or a review links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>